Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC Bearcat basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, Bob Huggins. And I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. You can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. The Bearcat Basketball Podcast is now presented by the Healthcare Management Group. Shout out to everyone at HCMG. Thank you for the support. Now, we are live here at Mio's in Clifton. And as usual, if we can give a huge shout out to the owner, Kelly, for making all this happen. Kelly, way to go. The rock star, Kelly. And usually my support staff who produces the podcast, Stu and Colin, are here, but they could not be here today. So if we could have a round of applause for our new assistant, Jake, a.k.a. Jay Diddy. Now, after tonight's podcast, there are only, after the game, only three home games left. Now, we'll be here. I know, right? It's like, wow. We'll be back here on Thursday for another podcast. The podcast will be from 5 to 6 p.m. and we will be announcing who that guest will be on social media. Now there will not be a podcast on Sunday for Sunday's game, but then the final home game we will have a podcast. So, um, so far on the podcast here live at Meals, we've had Keith Greger, Deontay Vaughn, Zach Tobler, Corey Blunt, Art Long, Donald Little, Yancey Gates, Andre Tate, Tony Bobbitt, A.D. Jackson, and James White. You can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and our YouTube channel, Shine One Media. Next week's show, once again, will be Thursday, 5 to 6 p.m., before the Wichita State game. Now... This next segment is sponsored by the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Cincinnati. They have a new flexible bachelor's degree that will allow you to graduate conveniently and affordably, and you will not lose any credit or have to start over. I'm excited to welcome in this Bearcat legend. And when I say legend, that's with all capital letters. He played for the Bearcats from 1984 to 1988 and currently ranks the number six all-time leading scorer in Bearcat history. He is in the UC Hall of Fame, received his degree in engineering while playing basketball. He's a very, very well-rounded person and one of the greatest to ever wear the red and black. I'd like to welcome in my guy, number 21, Roger McClendon. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate being here. Uh, again, thank you to the host, uh, Kelly, and I guess Rich couldn't be here tonight, but thank you for allowing us to have the opportunity to share uh, some of the history and stories of uh, UC Bearcat basketball. Absolutely, and yeah, I'm glad you said that. Uh, shout out to Rich, um, who couldn't be here, recovering from surgery, and he's doing pretty well. Uh, first of all, how are you doing? You live in Louisville now, and you've made the drive up. We appreciate that. How are things going for you, Roger? I can, I can say wonderful. I mean, we've all been through this tough last two and a half years through COVID, you know, the COVID situation. Uh, 
kind of the social injustice that we've seen, uh, and then the economic downturn that came with it. So um, just just proud to be here. I got to say, my family's healthy. Uh, I'm healthy. Uh, Good. Business is going well. So thank you for asking. Talk about your family a little bit. As, as successful as you were as a basketball player, I think as a husband and father, you have surpassed your Hall of Fame career on, on the basketball court. Yeah, I mean, as we all know, and I think this is probably relevant for everybody here, is you know, you, you, you have to start from a foundation, and typically that's the people that are important in your life. Uh, and I was blessed to have you know, parents and grandparents that invested in me early. You know, they taught me values, uh, they taught me right from wrong, and they, they told me I could do and be anything I wanted to be. They didn't put any constraints on me. Uh, and, and the biggest thing that my father taught me was about critical thinking, okay. uh, thinking for yourself. And so, you know, it is, as you know, with your dad and mom, you know, s that foundation helps you catapult you in the right direction. Very so, important. Yeah. So I'm, I'm proud to, to be part of that tradition of uh, thinking about what I call F squared, C squared. It's something that I developed later in life. Okay. And as a geek engineer, my wife probably cringes every time I talk about this uh -huh. as a geek. But it's about F squared, faith and family, and C squared, community, then my career. Uh, and that's kind of how I tried to live my life. And so I still use that F squared, C squared to be that guiding light for, for how I live, live my life. Sure. Love it. Love it. And we're, we're going to jump in and talk about your history of, you know, going from Champaign, Illinois, to Cincinnati, yeah. to Louisville. But I first have to ask you, because I know in here... There are a lot of uh, Bengals fans. Did you watch the Super Bowl? I actually did. I did watch the Super Bowl. I think everybody, that's a bad question. Everybody yeah, watched no. the Super Bowl. Bad question. Did you cheer for the Bengals is my question. You know, and when I tell you that, they have a Nerf gun over there <laughs> and objects. No, she, I, she'll throw something at you if you're not careful. I so. think I know where you stand because we had this conversation. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, in, I'm in trouble. I'm in, oh, I'm in line to get hit with the Nerf. Yeah, I better, so I'm I better gonna, be I'm going to get out of the way because they know where you stand. But no. <laughs> I definitely am a, a Cincinnati Bengal fan when it comes to the game. And, you know, looking at Joe Burrow and his ability as a young leader to kind of galvanize that team was special to watch because the last time they were in it, I was here in the city. I lived here in the city. Okay. So I was working in the city. So I remember 1989 and, and yeah. the game there and all the excitement. So it was great after 30-plus years getting the Bengals back in the Super Bowl. So Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I think one of the great things, and a lot of people are here to not only hear you, but eventually go to the uh, Bearcat basketball game. But you know, sports brings people together, right? I, I think like nothing else, sports can bring so many people together in all the things that we've been through over the last two years. It seemed like this city, just everyone was getting behind the Cincinnati Bengals. And that, that was exciting to see, and people were in a, in a good mood. Unfortunately, the Bengals uh, couldn't win the game, but hopefully, you know, with the Bearcats having a great season with football and then the Bengals having a great season, that energizes our community, um, the economy as well. And people just are in a good mood, Raj, when, when the team's winning. Absolutely. I mean, I know politics tends to divide this country. Yep. Uh, and, 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 and so when you have sports and you're cheering for the same team, it, it, you, can, you can bring people together that way. Um, and I think one of the biggest leaders that we've ever seen, and people may or may not agree, uh, was Muhammad Ali. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and there's obviously a connection. And, you know, you think about what he was able to do 
and bring people together around his character. Um, and so, you know, another leader here that I like to think about was Tony Yates. Yeah. Was another guy that could bring people together regardless of his background. And so sports is that place. Sports is that magic that you put everything else aside and you cheer for your team and you forget, put, put your differences aside. Yep. And that's, that's awesome. Absolutely. Um, and, and quickly, before we jump into, you know, your history with basketball, uh, this past season, the Bearcat football team had an amazing season, amazing run. Uh, Coach Luke Fickle just signed an extension. Uh, yes, which yeah. everybody, we should be very, very Absolutely. excited for that. Um, being that I think the university has put themselves in a great position with, you know, I mean, a lot of the different sports here at the university have a lot of high-level, high-character coaches, um, which is great to see. But this football team, um, it, it just it, it energized, like I said, our community, and I think bled into the Bengals' run. But you being in Louisville, I'm sure you were watching from afar and, and watching this, uh, you know, Bearcat football team. You know, what were your? Did you make a game this year too? Also, Absolutely. but what were your thoughts on the season? Well, you know, first of all, kudos to this coach because he has the ethics and the values to say, you know, I'm going to stay here. I'm not going to go chase a bigger job or a bigger, bigger name school. And, 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 you know, when they come after you, they come after you before the season's over. Yes. And Which know, they need to change that. They do. They really do. But we know in the past other coaches have not done that. They have abandoned their team yeah. and everything that they've created and moved on uh, for more money in a bigger school. He did not do that for whatever reason, whether it's his wife, his family values, whatever it is, he's here and he's making a message. And the other thing I'll say about him as a leader is look at his coaching staff. Yeah. Look how he's developed and brought people along and, you know, continue to develop them and give them opportunities. And the third thing I'll say, if you watch his players, the players played for him. Yes. You know, he gave them enough room to have their own personality, to make mistakes, but they played for him. And that, that's always, a, uh, to me, a mark of a leader when they get behind you and, and follow you. And I, I agree with everything you said 100%. So when you were here as a Bearcat, what was the football team like when you were here? <laughs> well, you know, there was an occasion where right before I got here, they had that infamous win against Penn State, who was, I think, the number that's, one team in the nation. That's you know? right. And they were rebuilding at the time. They had a, a, an incredible running back by the name of Reggie Taylor. Yep. He was in the business school. Uh, he may have gone on and played some semi-pro. Um, but they were in the rebuilding years, and obviously this school's history going back to the 60s and the national championship teams, as some people may remember, is a, mostly a basketball school. Yeah. And so for football to now establish itself and for the newer generation, it's now looking like a football school. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. an incredible transformation. They come a long way. Yeah, no question. Let's, let's go ahead and dive into your career. Um, like I said before, you're from Champaign, Illinois, went to Centennial. High school? Absolutely. Uh, tell us a little bit about your high school career and what type of player you were. Yeah, yeah, so it's a great question and um, I'll tell a little story here. Uh, recently, my coach passed away. That was my high school coach. What was his name? His name was Coach Kelman Carradine. Okay. And he played for, uh, he played for Western Illinois. Um, and he was the number one leading scorer at his college for decades. Uh -huh. He may have just been passed up within okay. the last decade. Um, and he was a four-year letterman in four sports. Wow. So this coach, this, this famous coach. That in was, college? It, no, it, actually in high school before okay. going to college. 
and then he focused on basketball. But he was on a, a small college All-American. So literally, we were going to the gym. He said a couple things, how he developed me. Um, I would go to the gym about 5, 6 a.m. He would be there, open the gym up for me. Wow. Uh, I would proceed to pick up the basketball and go through all these drills, jab step, yep. jab step left, jab step right, and converted me into a, a big man at a 6'4", like when people play with their back to the basket, to a guard. Yeah. And he would literally sit on the free throw line, shoot 40 or 50 free throws in a row and not miss, and the ball would spin back to him. Wow. So he taught me, like John Wooden talks about how you tie your yeah. shoes up and the laces, he taught me how to hold the ball, where each of my fingers should be on the ball, the rotation of the ball. So it was very, very detailed, you know, about sure. what he could do. Sure. And so I absorbed all that. Yeah. And, yeah. and those type of meticulous details, when you learn those things early, you know, becomes with so much repetition, just becomes part of your game, which obviously you became very very successful and you can trace that back to that attention to detail with shooting ball handling basketball iq yeah. all that stuff absolutely so you know doc rivers uh isaiah thomas you know chicago oh. you know, i lived in new york before my dad got the university of illinois job so i was in new york and then going into ninth grade i came to champagne centennial and my dad searched for different high schools uh he kind of interviewed people <laughs> uh, and when he got, yeah, I'll tell you more about Serious. that. So he interviewed people, including the coach. Uh, and so that was the school based on his evaluation. And the determining factor was Coach Coleman Caradine. And so it was not just about me when I talk about his character. He wrote letters from the guy, the last guy on the bench, to the number one player on the bench. He invested time. And if you really wanted to put the time in, he supported you. So yeah. that, that's what he did for every player, you know, from Parklet Junior College, where he get people in, to yeah. going to Division One schools like University of Cincinnati. And that spoke a lot to him. Now, he hated to lose, and he would get in your face about nose to nose like I am with this mic, uh -huh. and let you know what you did wrong. Right, right. <laughs> Held you accountable. Hold you accountable. Uh, run you to your tongue hang out. Right, right. <laughs> now, let me ask, so, when I interviewed James White, you know, I talked to him about a very special moment for him, and that was when he found out that he became a McDonald's All-American. Now, I, I think in 2022, the McDonald's All-American, I think, game is, is, is still a, a great honor, but I think back even James's time and your time, I mean, that was the creme de la creme. That was the biggest, the biggest thing. When did you find out that you were a McDonald's All-American and in that moment, how special that was for you? Yeah, um, again, I credit my coach for actually doing the due diligence to kind of promote me, right? Because okay. it's, it's, it's really tough. I mean, Illinois has great basketball. You talk about Indiana, Ohio, Illinois basketball. And uh, he was able to promote me early on. So I had made All-State two years in a row. Ben Wilson, I don't know if you remember that yep. name, who ended up getting shot. Yep in Chicago and he was going to be the next Magic Johnson and yep. he was. Yep. He was that type of player playing for uh, Simeon. And I think every every great player like the top player at Simeon has worn his number since he's passed away. Did you know that? Derrick Rose? No, I didn't, I didn't every, know that. Yeah, every, every top player has Demar worn his number. It, so you can, you can keep going on you, and on about that machine. They, They've worn his number. Yeah, so that's the competition I was in, right? Yeah. I was downstate at the University of Illinois, Champaign, Centennial, 
and all the competition was upstate. Yeah. And it was a guy by the name of Kevin Gamble. I don't know if you remember Gamble. He played for the Celtics. He's six eight, smooth as smooth as ice. Kind of reminds me of Dale Curry, kind of that type of player. Was okay. A defining player. And Springfield Lanfear, they just dominated. He went to Iowa. But my point was, they were a little bit ahead of me. My coach was the guy that promoted me, and I backed it up. And so my junior year, going into my senior year, I was in the running to be a McDonald's All-American, but I had to back it up. So yeah. we, we took sure. the team for the first time in history to the state playoffs, the state finals. So that combination of winning, uh, playing in some tournaments where uh, I remember it was uh, the coach for uh, – University of Kentucky, Joe B. Hall, okay. came to see a seven-footer that was in Effingham, Illinois, and walked away talking about, can we recruit Roger McClendon? Mm. So you got to show up, you got to deliver, but the setup was because of my coach. Nice. Mm -hmm. and, and so how did you find out you so McDonald's All-American? They, they came in, and uh, he's, he told my dad, you know, he said, you know, Roger just made the McDonald's All-American team. Now, I'm a modest kind of guy, if you ever know me. I don't, I don't get too high, I don't get too low. Uh, and so I just took it with a grain of salt. I was like, okay, yeah, who's going to be there? Like, who am I playing against? So I already knew based on the camps, too, that I went to. So I went to AFI, all, the All-American camps. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know if Bolton and Croner. What's B that? BC camps, Bolton okay, and yeah. Croner, yep. five-star mm -hmm. camps. Yep. And so playing against Delray Brooks and the guys ahead of me that were McDonald's All-American. So competing there gave me that next leg up, too. So a combination of all of that. Got me there, but yeah, I just took it with a grain of salt. Yeah, yeah. now in the McDonald's All-American game, correct me if I'm wrong, but you played with on the team was Danny Manning was on your yep. team. Danny was on my team. Yep, um, that was a high-scoring game, 131 to 106. Yeah, yeah, and we, we were putting the ball out. We know how those All-Star <laughs> games go. Whoever no defense. Doc Rivers. It was Rivers. It was uh, uh David David, David Rivers, Rivers that Pick went to Notre Dame. David Rivers. Uh, you know uh, John Williams. That went to LSU was, and I think he had like, he looked like Magic at the time. It's before he got really big and they put him down low. He was playing point guard at about six eight, you know, uh -huh. from Crenshaw in LA. So I mean, we we played two games, one on the East Coast, and then we had Poly Pavilion with with uh, actually you met uh, John Wooden, you know, the oh. coach of all coaches was the guy that was in our ear talking about values and all those kind of things. And so it was a really great experience, not just the basketball. But the leadership development, uh, yeah. what it meant in your responsibilities, what, what you should be expecting going to the next level, you know, it was, it was really a wonderful, fantastic time. And the story that I tell, we were modest, you know, uh, as far as how we grew up. And literally in some of those camps, uh, when we went up to Five Star, and I didn't find out this till later, but my dad slept in the car. Uh, he would go to the bus station and, you know, wash up and all that kind of stuff. But oh, wow. He, While you were at the and camp. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that. While I was at the camp, yeah, he, he, he at the time, you know, because we needed, yeah. you know, he, he slept in the car. Yeah. Uh, and never missed uh, one that's, of my high school games. Made every one of my high school that's, games. Uh, that's special. Yeah. That's special, yeah. man. Yeah, I'm sure you, as you raise your, as you're raising your children, you know, you would do anything for them, much like your father sacrifice a lot for you so I understand that now I, I want to talk about the recruiting process I'm always fascinated with how a player ends up at a certain school mm -hmm. right so I've, like I've said I've talked to Tony Bobbitt Donald Little a lot of different former Bearcat players and everybody's journey is kind of different so with you Roger mm -hmm. being a fantastic high school basketball player McDonald's All-American how did you end up playing for the University of Cincinnati 
and for Coach Tony Yates? It's a great, it's a great question. So again, I'll talk about the discipline. So we set up a list of 25 questions for each coach and his staff. Uh, we vetted those coaches. Your, your father. Yeah, my father helped me set it up. Man, he was meticulous, man. I wouldn't want to deal with pops, man. And, uh, <laughs> it wasn't all about, like, one of the questions was, uh, would Roger be allowed to wear facial hair, like a mustache or a beard? And it's, a, it's an honest question. Yeah. You know, and it's an ideological question, right? It's about it. And as a, his argument was, as you're growing up as a young man, you should have choices that you make for yourself. Yeah. They shouldn't be imposed on you. Right. And so <laughs> he asked this question to uh, Roly Massimino. You remember Roly Massimino? Yeah, Villanova, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And literally in the living room, I thought I was going to break out into a fist fight. Oh, wow. <laughs> because, because at that school... You know, no facial hair. Yeah. No questions asked. Yeah. Kind of a and tradition, there, and it, that was it. And there were a lot of schools like that. It was at that time. Indiana yeah. was like that. I mean, we, yeah. we talked That's tonight. Right. The phone on Bobby Knight. Bobby he Knight. Sent a, he sent a telegram, and it was like, ask that question. Okay, deal's done. You know, yeah. move on to the next school. So you want to match your values, what you believe in. You know, uh, it was a, a holistic decision, not just about basketball, not even just about the engineering school. It was about me being able to grow as a young man into an, into an adult, right? Sure. So, so through the interview so process. 25 questions. We boiled it down. Like, you know, Duke was on the list. A lot of people, I mean, I had over, you know, you can imagine, UCLA, all these offers. So when we talked about the engineering program, it got really tight. So the final five was University of Illinois. Okay. Un unbelievable engineering program. They started the computers, MP and the computer systems way back in the day. They were building long, you know, before you had to compute. It was Vanderbilt, okay, a great, engin nice engineering program. University of Louisville, okay, the speed school. University of Cincinnati, and Georgia Tech. Okay. So all those fit that combination of coach, engineering, even like this metropolitan area. Like, what are you going to do if you don't make it into the NBA? Sure. You want to be able to work. What's you know, have a job and have that exposure. So all those things came into play, and so those were the final five. So how we got from there was I really looked at Cincinnati and thought they were on the bottom of the list. You okay. did. Well, they were 3-25. and 25. Right, yep. Um, but there was something about the history that made me think twice. You know. Oscar. And so it was between Georgia Tech and Cincinnati. Okay. So Bobby Crimmins, everybody ever heard of Bobby Crimmins? Absolutely. You know Fantastic, loved them. Bruce Darrumpel, you know, John Spider Sally, the guard that they had, Mark Price. Uh huh. So I went to the visit, fit right in. They showed me engineering, you know, everything about it seemed right. It's so that, that were the right ones I thought at the time. Okay. But what got me over the hump was a dream. Like I was list laying down and I thought about Oscar. And I thought about bringing a championship back to Cincinnati. Cincinnati, yeah. Yep. And, and what would that be to be able to turn around and get back to the winning days of the 1960s and what Oscar and, and all those guys, sure. Shunker and all those guys talked about. So that, I love challenges and I wanted that challenge. Love it, love it. Uh, can you speak, obviously, uh, you know, one of our legends, uh, Tony Yates has passed away. Um, not only a, a tremendous basketball coach, great recruiter, but even better person. Uh, my interactions with uh, Coach Yates through my years going to Tony Yates basketball camp to when I played for the Bearcats. I mean, just a tremendous human being. 
Can you speak on, you played for him, but can you speak on Coach Yates? Yeah, and uh, everything you said plus, um, you know, I actually met him when he was at University of Illinois before yeah. he got this job. Because he was an assistant He was an assistant Illinois. at Illinois. And what I learned was that he got back to his roots to be able to take, you know, as a player and lead them to the championships of the 60s, 61, 62, and then come back and be a coach and try to do that. There was something special about that. Yeah. But coach was way bigger than basketball. Absolutely. And if you talk to all his guys, you know, Myron Hughes is here tonight. Shout out to Myron, one of my teammates. Um, the guys like that he recruited that were leaders um, just demonstrated and really um, showcased his values, you know, and, and that commitment. So he, he hated to lose, just like I hated to lose. And my high school coach hated, hated to lose. Uh, he kind of wore his emotions a little bit on his sleeve, you uh -huh. know, about, you know, having that chip on your shoulder, getting that Bearcat pride back and fighting. Uh, and then he had to fight because he went to the military early on before so he's a little more mature when he came back to go to college but he was a leader uh, yeah. and you know he would do anything for you if you followed his you know kind of philosophy and did the right things that you were supposed to do he would do anything for you and he made tough choices you know if you didn't do it you had consequences and he, he stood by that and so I love the fact that he was a valued value-based person his value standards were extremely high from graduating to committing to what you want to do and, and how hard we wanted to work to get to where we wanted to go. So, yeah, yeah so I shout out to his family and you yeah. know, really a big loss to the community. And he's done a lot more outside the community, you know, even after he finished his basketball career as a coach. And, and I thought it was important at that time in that era that the University of Cincinnati not only hired a former player, but uh, also a black coach to lead the University of Cincinnati, which there weren't a ton. I mean, we're seeing this in the NFL right now where they're, you know, having issues with the hiring process. But for in that time, hiring, you know, Coach H, I, th I thought was very, very important, you know, for the university. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's always a challenge to figure out um, how you get momentum in that, you know, people talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and what that means. You know, we saw the BLM movement, everything that was happening. And, you know, you, you go back to those times where you get that opportunity as a coach. And, you know, it's a breakthrough opportunity. So yeah. you're, you're not only coaching for yourself. Oh, you, you're coaching for everybody else. And absolutely. I, you know, little history. So the first African-American coach that actually learned the game and studied under the inventor of the game was John B. McClendon. Okay. Right? And so fast break basketball, what he wrote, he actually wrote rules in the game. You know, the four corners, which some coaches get credit for, he had that in his repertoire. Yeah. So, so there was people before him that stepped in to have that opportunity. Um, he studied, John Coach McClendon studied under Naismith, the inventor of the game. Yeah. He integrated Kansas. He was the first one. Wow. When he jumped into the pool, they emptied the pool out before, he, before anybody would get in. And then he came back the next day and jumped in the pool and they did it again. So he, he had to fight through that. And uh, even when he got his degree, he couldn't coach certain teams. He couldn't coach white teams, right? So, yeah. so there was a history of people that came before that allowed Coach Yates to get that opportunity. And he tried to make the most of it. I mean, he, he worked hard every day. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let, let's jump into your first year, 1984, 1985. Uh, you played with a lot of... Uh, Great players. 
one of which is here. You mentioned him earlier. Um, if you can go ahead and give him a shout out, yeah, shout and out uh, make sure we show some love here. So yeah, shout out to Myron Hughes, my big man, set the meanest screen in the world. One of our greats, Myron Hughes, in the building, and a three-point shooter, rebounder, and most of all, NBA. I think you got your NBA in business. Close. Business leader, worked in the community. I mean, just a great person and a great teammate. So thank you for being here. And his lovely wife, Sherry. Sherry's in the house. Always, yeah. A star, a star, a superstar. Herself, TV so. star. Yeah, absolutely. TV star. <laughs> uh, yeah, you've, and you've, you played alongside also some other greats. Uh, Cedric Glover. Cedric. Who's yeah. doing uh, also great in the community, working at, I believe, Jeff Weiler in Fairfield. Yep. Uh, he's doing great things. Um, Ramel Shorter, who's one of my favorite all-time guys because I could look him eye to eye when I was at basketball camp at 11 years old. And uh, he's still living in Chicago, uh, doing some great things from a mentorship standpoint, not only working for the city of Chicago, but mentoring a lot of young men there that, that really need it. Uh, Derek McMillan. Derek McMillan. Um, who else? I'm, I'm talking. Who oh, else? Joe Stiffen. Oh, uh, yeah. Tony, Tony Wilson. Uh, Donnie Rule. Donnie know, we, Rule, we, we yeah. Keep going. Uh, Jeff Flynn. Uh, Doug Keckman, my buddy. Um, yep. Brian Helm. But you know. you, as you mention all those names, though, as much as I think about successful on the court, like all those, all those guys are doing great things, business and community as well. Yeah, I mean, that's a reflection of, of I say, Coach Yates for sure. And, um, you know, people in their, in their family that, you know, supported them along yeah. the way. And you, you'll hear all different stories. Like if I tell a story about Romel Shorter, I mean, he's the only person I can know that can walk between the vice lords and the disciples. And they won't even mess with him, you know, walk right between them. You know, so understanding the gang life and the reality of how you grow up and not get caught up in that um, – is phenomenal and, and sports and basketball his coach Sonny Cox which is a famous legendary coach, legendary in Chicago know, um, was able to develop those guys and keep them literally off the streets because the basketball was a way out for them yeah Romel's a great guy to opportunity to interview him oh, you got to bring him back oh yeah Ro Romel's one of my guys so uh, you know looking back that that first year uh, you averaged 12.4 points a game you guys were in the Metro mm -hmm. Back, back then, uh, great conference, though. Oh. I know, mean, there were some players. State, Memphis State at the time, Tulane, every game. South Carolina, I mean, these guys were monsters. You know, they're big guys, you know. And so, good thing we had Myron Hughes that first year. To kinda, <laughs> <you know. laughs> uh, your, your, your first year, you guys finished 17-14. Uh, and 14. Uh, Played some, um, some big games that year. I'm looking here at the uh, schedule um, at UK. Yeah, yeah, that, that was a tough one. You know, you could go to Rupp Arena, you know. Who, who was on that UK team that year? Kenny, Kenny Skywalker, Ooh. Jump, jump, Kenny Skywalker. We yeah. were looking at his bottom of his shoes most of that game, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> what, what was the score of that game? Uh, we got beat uh, pretty good. <laughs> a lot to a little. <laughs> we got spanked. Myron's shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, one of my favorite, one of my favorite arenas in all of college basketball was Freedom Hall, oh. right? Fr Freedom Hall, when we went and played, I mean, the fans in Louisville are, are great, great fans. I mean, watch every, it's not like a, in, in Louisville at Freedom Hall, it wasn't a late arriving crowd. They were there early, they were intense. Obviously, 
I think Cincinnati and Louisville have always had a connection and a, a great rivalry. Hopefully we can get that back. But your first year, you guys beat Louisville twice. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, I remember Milt Wagner and Billy Thompson. And I think, you know, they kind of let down a little bit. They come into Cincinnati and, you know, they just got off of national TV. Maybe this is not a national televised game. So I give them a little bit of that. But we were trying to win. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember stealing the ball from half court from Milk because he just put it out there. I was like, okay, yep. he's going to put it out there like that? Yeah. You know, but, yeah, we, uh, we for some reason, got up really high on those games and uh, ended, up, ended up beating them a couple times that year. And, and, and you guys lost to uh, Marquette in, 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 I, in IT. Yeah, that was a tough loss because – that's the year Bobby Knight threw that chair across the floor. Oh, that was the, the okay. Bit. That was and the so year. If we would have beat Marquette, I think we lost by a couple of points. We would have played Bobby Knight in Indiana. At yeah. Indiana. Uh huh. Oh wow. Yeah, for the NIT, kind of get to the NIT championship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you know, after your first year, going into your second year, I think a lot of players. I I can speak for myself. Um, I felt obviously more comfortable my second year, especially from like a mental standpoint. I think the game started to slow down for me because everything just seemed so fast. Everybody was so strong. From your first year to your second year, you went from averaging 12.4 points a game to 17 points a game, and your leadership role increased. Um, what was the difference for you? I mean, did you feel that more confident from a mental? You're already a high-level IQ player, but. Yeah, I mean. The biggest thing about me was strength and stamina, you know, try to get in the weight room and, and, and producing my endurance. And but the psychological side was we had leaders like Myron and, and, and Derek McMillan. These guys had been through the grind, you know. They'd been through the lowest of the lows. Yep. And so they created an atmosphere through their leadership that allowed me to flourish and not have that on my shoulders so much. And then... And you, do, you don't know this until they're gone, right? Right. So when they leave, you know, now you feel that pressure a little bit. And so you're looking for the leadership. Because leadership is not what you say, is, is what you do. Sure. And how you back that up. Sure. And so that, that became a challenge all the way through to my senior year. is like carrying that load and that leadership load. Uh, and, and, and trying to keep everybody together, you know, and focus. Yeah. And, and, you know, in the second year, um, you guys finished 12 and 16 and um, didn't make the NCAA tournament again. And I know you said coming into UC, one of your goals was to bring the Bearcats back to that national prominence, obviously get them to the NCAA tournament. And two years in a row, you guys don't make the NCAA tournament. Um, how are you feeling? And like, how does that motivate you during the offseason? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So a couple things happened. It was uh, we recruited a, a, a great recruiting class that I think was ranked in the top 10. And because of a new rule, I don't know if it was Proposition 48, I can't remember the rule, but those guys became ineligible. Okay. So we had this great recruiting class, none of them complained, they had to sit out, and it really kind of destroyed the momentum that we had going into it. Yep. You know? And so the other thing that I had to battle was engineering itself. You know, being split to kind of be at the pinnacle of each was what I wanted, but in reality, you know, you come maybe average at best. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to bring that up at some point. For you, balancing academics in athletics, like you, you're capable of playing at the professional level. You have all the tools to do that. 
And I think a lot of guys will come to Cincinnati or other schools putting all their eggs in the basket athletically and sometimes don't focus so much academically. But for you, you wanted to be that same Hall of Fame person in the classroom. And being in engineering and playing a, any sport is very, very difficult. Can you talk about that? Yeah, at the time, there was a guy by the name of Joe Neiman, uh, Jeff Johnson, who was a, went on and got his PhD in engineering, electrical engineering. And those guys knew how difficult it was. And they kind of had set the tone, at least with the professors, that it was possible. So I almost didn't come to Cincinnati because I had a, I had a meeting with one of the advisors over there and said, you know, you can't be in engineering. And play <laughs> like, basketball. Like, yeah, you say, we, we can't do it. I was like, what? Because there was no one before you that had well, done it? it was rare, very okay. rare. And I'll, I'll give a new stat because I'm, um, I'm actually on the advisory board to the engineering school today. I just accepted a position to be back on the advisory oh, wow. board. So they gave me some new statistics. But at the time, it was very, very few. Now, there were some probably women and, you know, um, cheerleaders, and I can name a few because it was really small. So it was doable, but it was very, very difficult and challenging. And I think... I think that advisor was not really doubting that I could do it. Probably, yes, doubting, but trying to warn me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In the Wanted best you way. to be so, kind of like a mother, like, hey, be careful you with sure this. You, wanna be you this? sure you want to be Yeah. It didn't come out that way. And, again, I, I'm not one to back her down from a challenge, and that's the whole reason of my being of looking at both. Georgia Tech and, you know, talk about all those schools. Those are all engineering schools. Yeah. University of Louisville had the speed school. So, that's something that I wanted and I was going to do. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it wasn't easy, but it was, um, I had to come in late to some lab, you know, do my labs and come in late to some practices. So it was the arrangement with my coach and the players I know sometimes maybe were like, well, what, what, how did Raj come in to practice late? You know, look at him. Well, yeah. come on, take some engineering classes. You come in late too. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. So they made accommodations, you know, on going on the road, tutors, um, anything that I could do within the, the, the rules and the process they allowed me to do. Sure. We're live at Mio's in Clifton with Bearcat legend Roger McClendon. And Bearcat fans, I do need to point somebody out, and uh, I need everybody to give uh, this person a round of applause because as Roger and I are here talking about the balance between academics and athletics, uh, we have Lisa Holstrom who's here, who has, let me tell you, give her a round of applause and I'm gonna tell you why. As you watch a lot of Bearcat football, basketball players on those fields, on the court, where there are a lot of things that have to happen outside of that particular field or court and academics is a big part of that. And Lisa Holstrom has been very instrumental along with many others at the university of helping athletes graduate, not only the current players, but also players that have left the university that have come back and she's helped them graduate and get a degree from the University of Cincinnati. Show her some love, Lisa Holstrom, thank you for coming out. Oh, your husband's standing up for you. <laughs> he knows, he's a smart man. Uh, but yeah, that's it's 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 always a challenge, Raj. And you are yeah. you're a high level, so, you know, academic guy. So what, here's what's happened. So you know, being on the board of the computer engineering and applied science, what what we know now is that there's 64 student athletes that are in engineering right now. 64. 
and I could probably could count on one hand, maybe two when I was there. So it's it's, it's increased. When I was yeah. looking at Northwestern, there were out of the 15 guys that play on the basketball team, eight were going to be doctors and seven were going to be engineers. Yeah. But they were like three and 25, you know, so they were trying to figure it out. But yeah, yeah so all schools are not created equal. <laughs> <laughs> right. But they no. did make it happen here. Yeah. For me. Nope. No question. And, and, and to jump back into your, your career here with the, with the Bearcats, and we were talking about the 1986 to 1987 season right now. Uh, you guys finished 12 and uh, 16. You were averaging 20 points a game. Um, statistically, it was your best season, although the team didn't perform um, probably to, to what you had expected. Um, going into, I love asking this question because I love to find the mindset of a player going from your junior year into your last season, knowing this is it. Like everything's gonna, everything you've worked for falls in line with this season. What's your mindset going into your senior year? Yeah, I mean, setting those goals that we wanna win, you know, small goals to lead to big goals. So we wanna win the conference championship. Yep. You know, we wanna compete. You know, we wanna get to the NCAA tournament. And so, those goals we don't want to you know lose any home games so you kind of set the goals at the beginning of the year and even before that your preseason working to get to that beginning of the year so and again when that goals don't happen it's hard you know if you think about a business yeah. the same way you know yeah. things start to spiral you know what's the character of the team what's the character what's your character you have to look in the mirror and say you know what am I doing? You yeah. Know? And so that, that was a tough year. You know, I mean, toughest year of my life, probably. Yeah. Uh, in, in your senior year, you averaged 15 points a game, which you, you dropped from 20. And I believe Cedric Glover was the leading scorer, um, you know, that season. You had some new fresh guys to the mix, Lou Banks, mm -hmm. uh, Let's see, Keith Starks, right? Yep. Lavertis Robinson. Absolutely, absolutely. Ton tons of talent. So big time talent. Tons of talent. Tons of talent. Remember, they sat out the year before, so Elnardo, Givens, and yep. those guys were coming back in and trying to figure out. Because of the Prop 48, Prop 48. which was a terrible rule. I'm glad yeah. they got rid of that. Absolutely. But that's a whole other Ab podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> so those guys, you know, are part of the UC basketball legacy and obviously developed and moved on through that as Hugs came in the, the year after yes. that year, right? And so, um, but for me, it was, a, it was a little bit of turmoil because of leadership and alignment. You know, and when you don't have alignment and everybody pulling kind of the same way and, you know, just maturity and, and being able to do that, then you don't get the most out of your team. And, and that, that was a challenge. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, the competition was fierce. Yeah. You know, that year. Absolutely. In the, met in the Metro, I believe. A gr great league. But you know what? A lot of those guys, you know, I've interviewed Lou Banks, Lavertis Robinson, a lot of those guys from that time period. A lot of them point to you and um, your leadership and watching you and it helped out with their career. So, you know, a lot of guys, you know, like you said with Tony Yates, like he was not only coaching for himself, he was coaching for a lot of other people. And sometimes you don't know at the time, you as a senior, obviously you're playing for the team, you're playing for yourself, but you're influencing a lot of other players, a lot of other people, and you had that impact. Yeah, sometimes you don't know that until years later yeah. that what, what happens, you know. Uh, even your dad, you know, I talk a lot about, you know, Mr. Meacham. Thank and you. what he did for Suzanne and I, you know, just being that person or that person people can look up to and model themselves after. 
So that was, that was a privilege. And, 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 and really, really, I had leaders that I, I modeled, so that's kind of how I did it. Yeah. Um, I think your character really comes out when you're tested, you know, in crisis. Yeah. Uh, and most people, you know, will tell you that's when you, are, you know your true character. Yeah. <laughs> and so we had that one of those tough years. I had to, had to take a year, like a couple quarters off from engineering, you know, because of the way it was going. So I had to go back and finish up another couple quarters. Yep. I took evening college. You know, I went to school while I was co-oping. I took three to six credit hours every t every summer, every yep. spring when I was in town co-oping. So, you know, you try to do everything you can to take advantage of the opportunities you have and stay true to your commitments. Yeah. Now, help me out with this. And I believe, uh, Myron, you guys, you guys started, uh, you guys were playing downtown. And then the last year, your last year, you went to the gardens. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. I, I remember those days going going to the gardens. What was that like playing at the gardens? <laughs> I, I I was with a young high school player and I was talking about the Cincinnati Gardens and he's like, "What are you talking about? Is that is it still exist?" And I'm like, yeah. "Nah, it's gone." But yeah. So so Riverfront was like, even though we weren't on campus, it was like our home gym. Yeah. You know, so that was a feel. It had our our, our name on the court. Yeah. You know, had our colors, and so that was a totally different feel. So when we had to shift and go to the gardens, that was kind of a psychological blow for us. You know, it was like, I don't know, it was a premonition or something? Yeah. Uh, playing Xavier, being the home team, but on their court. Yeah. So it was like really bizarre. It was odd. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it, it shouldn't really matter. I mean, it's like you play on the playground, but there was something there psychological. So I, I didn't really enjoy it very much. Yeah, it was cold in there too. Very, very cold. I think they turned off the heat because they knew we were coming in there. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know there's no love lost between Xavier and Cincinnati. Oh, <laughs> no, no love lost. Um, now your fourth and final season uh, with the Bearcats, uh, you guys once again did not make the NCAA tournament. So how did you, you know, you're, you're kind of balancing viewing your career, which you had a, obviously a tremendous career but also not making the, the tournament. You know, it's almost like two different things. How did you feel about those and, and, and balance out those two feelings? Yeah, it was uh, nightmarish a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Because, <laughs> you, you know, uh, years later, I tell a story. So I'm in Louisville, moved to Louisville, and uh, my daughter's playing volleyball, and there's a volleyball couple saying, hey, we're going to do this uh, seminar, um, this, this little presentation, and it's going to be at Coach Crum's house. Yeah. You know, do you want to come out? And I said, sure, I'll come out. And so I go into Coach Crum's home, you know, and he's there, and he, he greets us, you know. And he says, Roger McClendon, let me take you to my basement. Uh-huh. Let me show you. Oh, I, said, I know where you're going with this. This, this is the ring you could have had. <laughs> if you played here. <laughs> but yep. in, a, in, a, in, a, in a respectful, yeah. Yeah. you know, in a respectful, joking way, and, you know, same thing with Rolly Massimino. You know, so the guy, the coaches that I turned down actually won national championships. You Man. Know? So, so, but it's not that you say, well, I should have changed my course and I should have done it. I met my wife, you know, with my four Absolutely. kids at University of Louisville. I met Myron Hughes. I met Tony Yates. You know, we fought to get a gymnasium back on campus. That was, that yeah. was supposed to be there when we were there, but that, yep. was, the, that was the beginning of building yep. to where the UC was as national champions. And they're still striving to get there, but I feel as though I'm part of that legacy, you know, no question. from Oscar all the way to Kenyon, all the way on. So yeah, it's, it's, it was the right decision for me. Yeah, no, no question. And, and growing up, huge Michael Jordan fan, 
Um, I was one of those kids that wanted to be like Mike. Mm -hmm. I'd put on the Michael Jordan sneakers. I'd go in the back, dribble with my tongue out, do all that good stuff. But Bearcat fans, I'm here to tell you, growing up, I wanted to be like Roger McClendon. I really did. And my dad, my, my, my mother and father built a court, like a small court in the backyard. And I always tell young people to visualize success. Like, really think about your dream. Visualize yourself. I wanted to play for the Bearcats when I was nine years old. And I would visualize myself wearing the Bearcat uniform, hearing my name coming out in the court, and I would practice in the back, and I would shoot just like you. I'd jump up, kick my feet up to my butt, do all, all those things. And I, I, I wanted to make sure, and I've told you this before, but in a public um, platform here, I wanted to give you your flowers, Roger, that I looked up to Michael Jordan, but I also looked up to Roger McClendon, man. I want to thank you for inspiring this young guy, which eventually led me to play for the Bearcats. So if we can give him a round of applause. And he knows that's true. I'm not just feeding him bullshit right now. I, I appreciate it, Alex. I appreciate it. We had dinner in Louisville. I've told you that privately many of times. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and your book, people know you're published and your story of triumph and you know going into to hugs and saying, I want to be a part of this team. I mean, um, you've lived your values. I mean, you, you're a very um, humble guy. Thank but you. But you're also a great leader. I uh, love your process of discipline. I mean, your AAU program is, is second to none. Thank you. You know, what you Appreciate do to that. develop coaches, not only the players that respect you, but the coaches that you develop. So you have a coaching tree that's yeah. longer than a lot of people's here. So, Absolutely. You know, but I know you Thank like you. Romel Shorter a little bit better than me, so. Because he was, <laughs> you can see him eye to eye. I can see him eye to eye at 11 years old at basketball camp. But you know what's, you know what's crazy? When I went to the Tony Yates basketball camp, they used to give you a, a basketball. It was a red, white, and black basketball. Remember that, Myron? And they would give you a, like a certificate for coming to camp. And I have all your guys' autographs. Oh, wow. I still have that basketball. I still have that certificate. And I don't have it from any other camp. Mm. I didn't have it at Hugs. You guys just were a special group and uh, meant a lot to me. And I know it meant a lot to my father. So I wanted to you know, make sure I pass that along to both you and, and Myron. So, so Absolutely. thank you for what you guys did for Bearcat basketball for sure. And just, just to give you one more, one more thing, and I, I have to say this. Um, I have often called you the Magic Johnson of UC basketball. And I'm not even talking about the basketball court. I'm talking about the combination. As we think, I think before this, we were talking to Kelly, uh, the owner, about Kelly, about meeting Magic Johnson and what a great person he is. I've had a chance to be around Magic Johnson several times. He is a tremendous father, husband, and businessman, Hall of Fame basketball player. And you are that, you built from that same cloth. And I, I really truly say that. You are like the Magic Johnson of UC basketball from that standpoint of kind of bringing everything all together. I appreciate that, Alex. And you know, like I said, it, it comes from the leaders that I've had a chance to follow. So in my career, I came here to be an engineer, and yep. I w I'm an engineer, right? Yep. And, and, and no I, question. I was also a basketball player. You're not just one thing, but my passion is about people and solving problems. 
And so I've had an unbelievable career. I just retired a couple years ago from Yum Brands, one of the biggest restaurant companies in Can, the world. We, we, we can't let that go by. <laughs> Roger McClendon just retired <laughs> from working for Yum Brand for... 24 years. 24 years. We got to give him a round of applause for that. Yeah. And, and what has taught me is humility, right? It's taught me to appreciate opportunities uh, to demonstrate leadership by not what you say, by what you do. Yep. Uh, people are going to follow you based on how you make them feel. Uh, your responsibility is to develop others uh, and bring them with you as you progress in your career. Um, and, you know, I think about it as like playing for the next generation, which I'll get into in a minute. But um, I've been blessed. I've been all over the world from Abu Dhabi, Dubai, China. We opened up the first green building restaurant under my leadership. Yep in Beijing. Amazing. Uh, before, you know, Beijing, people knew about green buildings. Uh, Amazing. So it, it's, it's been a, a, a long ride. And my CEO gave me that opportunity because I was good at my job. Yeah. Right? So I did my job. And that's the thing about basketball. You know, do your job. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Football field, do your job. But uh, yeah, I've been blessed in, in, in business as well. Just a young kid from Champaign. <laughs> So um, what I like to do at the end of, the, of every podcast, I like to do some quick hitters, quick questions, quick answers. And this has become one of my favorite questions, and I do this with every player, and sometimes I get answers I don't expect. So my first question is, would you rather be MJ or MJ? And here's what I mean by that. Would you rather be Michael Jordan at the height of his celebrity and career, or would you rather be Michael Jackson at the height of his celebrity and career? Now keep in mind, Michael Jordan, I wanna be like Mike, everybody, every young kid he's influencing. Michael Jackson's got grown men passing out his concerts. He can't go anywhere. Would you rather be Michael Jackson or Michael Jordan? So I'm gonna answer this because I'm a, a son of a philosopher, right? Oh, this is going to be deep. <laughs> this is going to be deep. So, so Michael Jordan at the pinnacle of his career, nobody was better. But Michael Jackson at the pinnacle of his career was around the world leading people. Yeah. His songs about empathy and compassion and about changing the world for the better. And I think MJ has that perspective now, but I don't think he had it when he was at the top of his pinnacle of his career because he could have made... I think a bigger impact. Now, that, I'm, I'm criticizing a little bit, but my point is, I think Michael Jackson did that. Gotcha. I mean, he changed countries, you know, to think differently. I mean, he, yeah. he you know, and so I think that, that's the difference to me, your Got, influence. So can you moonwalk? Will you, no, I will you moonwalk at the end of the podcast for everybody? No? I know you can moonwalk. I can you moonwalk. See, you ever see him dress up? You I know. No, you got to show some of those pictures. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're gonna to go past that one. Uh, so during your Bearcat career, yes. you can only pick one teammate. You can pick one teammate that you're going to go to battle with. So Roger McClendon and whoever you name, anywhere in the world, you basketball, volleyball, business, you're going to battle. You've got to take one teammate with you. Who are you taking? I'm going to have to take Romeo Shorter with me. Because, you know... He's always going to have you back. My Myron knows this. He's a fighter to the end. Yeah. Um, and, you know, although people won't maybe look at him as a business leader, 
He's one of the most accomplished leaders that I've ever met at, at, at 18 years old, what yeah. he's gone through. And yeah. I really want you to bring him on the show because his life and what he's lived and how he's given people advice and changed other young people's lives is off the charts. Yeah. And he doesn't have a PhD, he doesn't have an MBA, but he's a, a leader. Love it, love it, great. So let's talk about this next question. Your game, when you played, how do you think your game would translate into today's game in 2022? I think it fits brilliantly. In fact, I was probably a little bit ahead of my time because they could let yeah. little skinny guys like me run around with the basketball now. For know. sure, for sure. <laughs> but no, and, and guys are wearing short shorts again, Rod, so you yeah. fit right in. So I, I just think it was a movement where Shaq and, you know, the big guy, yep. you know, down low, pounded in, a little bit of slower game was kind of the norm and you know it started to evolve and the game continues to transform yeah now it's all about quick pass get it in three for two three for two do the math you know if you're a math or an engineer three for two works every time if you can shoot 50 percent from the free you know from the from the three-point line absolutely which nope. i don't think i would have a problem doing when was the three-point line adopted my sophomore my junior year junior year yeah my junior year what would it have been like if you had it the first couple years. Uh, Myron would have been like, give me the ball. Quit shooting from back there. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. Now, I've got a tough question for you. I really thought about this coming into the podcast. Now, anybody that really, really knows Roger McClendon, he's a very, very humble person, but yet he is overly competitive. So my question for you, you, and I'm talking about Roger McClendon, his prime, if you were to play one-on-one -on -one in a gym by yourself against Oscar Robertson, who would win and what would be the score? Ah, that's a tough one. So, so this, is, I, this I, is the humble I, I and competitive. Tell, I have to tell the story. I have played with Oscar. You, wait a minute, did you play him one-on-one? -on -one? I did not play him one-on-one. -on -one. But you played pickup ball. Three or four on four. And okay. so Oscar probably would have beat me up, so I think Oscar would have won that game, but it, it probably would have been close. Okay. You know, so if I could endure the physicalness that, because, you know, he's a 6'5 guy that would, could, could play yeah. the, with the best of them. Absolutely. But I don't think he could guard me from the outside. Yeah. So that would have been, been <laughs> a close game, but I think he would have got me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, you tell me the score. What would be the score? Playing uh, to 10. Playing how, to 10? Playing to 10. 10 uh, 9. 10-9. Okay. I like that. I like that. So um, have you had it? And let's talk about this current Bearcat basketball team. And I, I think we're in great hands with Wes Miller and his staff. Uh, really a tremendous, tremendous guy. Um, have you had a chance to sit down and talk with Wes Miller? And if you have, what are your thoughts on him and his staff? Yeah, we haven't sat down and talked, but he's opened up his basketball program to all the former you know, alum okay. in basketball, which I think is tremendous. Uh, He's got Demar on his staff, you know. Excellent, you know Demar, and uh, they—he's very gracious. But I, what I love about Wes is his idea of culture, you know, values, how he wants to build the program. It's—it's it's a long-term investment. Yep. Um, he's going to do it the right way, and he's going to hold his guys accountable. Yep. But it also has this uniqueness of allowing the guys to have a little bit of freedom within a framework, yep. which I love. Yep. And so I think he's got a lot of opportunity to grow the program. And I think they're, they're, they're above what they're like fifth right now in the conference. 
You know, they I'm have, not sure, yeah. I think they're right around there, fifth in the conference. Okay. I mean, Memphis is up there, SMU, yep. Houston. But they're right in the upper upper six and five or, you know, up in the upper echelon. So I'm hoping they can, you know, surprise some people this year. Yeah. So as a former player, as you are, going back to Fifth Third Arena, this is your first time to really see the Bearcats live yeah, this year sure. mm -hmm. under Wes Miller. Um, and really, you probably haven't had a lot of opportunities to watch them on TV. Um, but going to this game here, what are you looking for when you go to watch the team today? Yeah. Well, you want to see that the players are playing for the coach and playing for themselves. Yeah. That the focus is not on individual, it's on team. That they are making the hustle plays. That they're doing the little things to win the basketball, the fundamentals. Um, you know, you can miss and make shots, but taking the right shot, right? Um, and then just the demeanor, like when they're in the huddle, what kind of body language do you see? Is a positive bang language? Yep. Uh, when you get come, when you come out of the game, are you clapping for your teammates? Saying, sure. hey, let's go, let's make sure we're, you know, you're doing that. So those are the little things that you're looking for. The big things you're looking for is execution and strategy. Yeah. You know, what are you running? Like, because tonight when they go against Penny and Larry, the Hall of Fame yeah. coach. Larry Brown. Yes. Yeah. And Jeremy and all that powerhouse yeah. that they have over there, they've got to be a unit in order to win. Because sure. they're coming off a couple of big wins. They just beat Houston. Yeah. I think they got a five-game winning streak. Uh, Memphis is no joke. No no joke. And we're coming off of a tough loss to, yes. to Tulsa. So this is a very important game. Mm -hmm. um, lastly, Roger, before we close up shop here, when you look back, it's your career with the Bearcats. How do you look at your career? You know, I think I was just a little bit short, like a little bit short of what I think I really could do. Right? Okay. And, um, you know, you can't change the past, but it makes you think about what you do with your kids, you know, and give them opportunities. So I learned a lot from that experience, you know. We didn't go to the NCAA tournament, but my daughter won two national championships at Penn State in yep. volleyball. Um, so, so I think about that and I say, what drives me? So I took all that energy and that emotion that where I didn't accomplish what I wanted to and I translated it into business. Yep. And, and I think I've been somewhat successful. I always hold myself back. Very successful. Somewhat, somewhat successful. And I'll tell you one thing, and this is something that I think maybe the audience might feel. You never feel successful. When you're, when you're driven, I didn't even think Michael Jordan and all these guys, you never feel like you really made it, you know? Mm -hmm. No matter how many games you win, no matter how many accolades, when you're self-motivated, self-driven, you always think you could do better. Yeah. You always, you think about more games that you lost than what you won. Yep. And so when you have that, uh, that that's like a curse. It's a curse. It's a curse, but yeah. that's, what you, that's what you're going with. Man. No question. Roger, um, <laughs> as I said before, you're a Bearcat Hall of Famer. You're a Hall of Fame person. Once again, I want to thank you for inspiring me, nine-year-old, 10, 11-year-old kid in the backyard. And Bearcat fans, if you could give a round of applause for one of our Bearcat legends, Roger McClendon. Thank you for listening. Alex, thank you for having me. Always. Rios, make sure you come back here next week, same time. <laughs> <laughs> And I want to thank everybody out there for always, you know, there are a lot of faces here that are always here, and we appreciate that. Hopefully this is a good part of your Bearcat game day experience, and appreciate everybody listening to another episode of the Bearcat Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats! <laughs>